Bonnie. And we are here counting down the best picture winners mm-hmm. from worst to best based on this little ranking that we have that is we're all the way up to number 41. Wow. Can you believe that? I know. Yeah. So what do we have in store today? We have from 1938, the classic, You Can't Take It With You. Right. What's your history with uh, You Can't Take It With You? I'd never seen it before. Had you heard of it? I've heard the saying. I don't know that I've heard of the movie. Okay. I might have. I've never been in a conversation where people are like, oh my goodness, you have to see... Yeah, it doesn't get talked about very much anymore. Maybe get into some of the reasons why, but uh, before we do that, let's just take a look at 1938. Uh, A long long time ago. Yeah. But uh, look at the big box office hits in 1938. Boys Town looks to be the biggest hit of the year. Boys Town, okay. It's a Catholic Um, movie. Right. Isn't that what that's about? Yeah, well, yeah, it's about father. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it more in just a second because okay. it's one of the losers. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, you, you can't take it with you. Okay, uh, well, number four. Number four. Really, the movie that was making the most money throughout the year isn't on this list because it was released at the very end of 1937, but that was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it became... It's not the, the first. Biggest. Bambi was, is the first? No. It's the first animated movie of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it came out at the tail end of 1937 and became the highest grossing movie of all time up to that point. I mean, it's a great movie. It is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're not going to get into it because no. 37 has passed. But uh, Well, let's just get into some of the losers. A lot of them are on this list of money makers, but we'll start off with Boys Town, the year's biggest hit. Oh, that is... Yes, yeah, Spen- Spencer Tracy and Spencer Tracy. Uh, he plays Father I think Father Flanagan, who opens up a boys camp in Nebraska uh-huh. for kind of, uh, I think, troubled youth. Uh-huh. I have... I, have you ever seen Boys Town? No. Yeah, I... It's a play, too, isn't it? Maybe it's... Not, I don't... Okay. Not that I know of. You it would might know. be. Yeah. You can't take it with you as a play, but um, we'll okay. get to that. Um, no, Mickey I Rooney is so young. He's yeah. a child. Uh, it, well, yeah. He was a famous child actor in the 30s. And I saw this movie years and years ago. When our, our sister Cindy lived in Nebraska. One time I went out and visited, and we went to Boys Town. Oh. The actual place is... It's, uh, Gives tours and stuff. So, and then after that, we watched the movie, and I think that's the only time I've seen it. Yeah, worth watching. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, yeah, that was it's like been twenty some years ago. That was in the nineties. Alexander's Ragtime Band. Okay. Ever heard of this? No. Oh, well, it was a big hit at the time. It's kind of we've talked about the term jukebox musical before. Okay. That's the type of musical where you take like an existing. Catalog of music, mm-hmm. like uh, Mamma Mia does with right. Abba's music. And so Alexander's Ragtime Band kind of does that with Irving Berlin's songbook. Oh, this yeah. is like the original Mamma Mia movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Right, and we're kind of like what um, an American Paris does with Gershwin music. That's oh, probably okay. where we talked about this before. There's a Billy Joel one, too. Yeah, Moving Out. There's the Moving Out, right. Jersey Boys is the Four Seasons. And oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Alexander's Ragtime Band is just a story about a rich kid who's being trained as like a classical musician, mm-hmm. but he's interested in... Ragtime, jazz, and it's scandalous okay. at the time. <laughs> okay. And so it's about the um, various uh, love triangles and pairings. Uh, and Don Amici, we, he, we know him as an old guy, right? What is he yeah. in as an old guy? Cocoon. Cocoon, yeah. okay. Uh, Test Pilot, another big hit from this year was... Uh, movie kind of inspired by the United States mobilizing for the war. Not necessarily to get into the war, because there's a lot of isolationists, but, uh-huh. you know, they were building fighter planes and stuff. So this is about a couple of test pilots played by uh, Spencer Tracy again and Clark Gable. Clark Gable is kind of the more rough-and-ready type and the... Mm-hmm. Tracy is the more conservative, and they have a love triangle with Myrna Loy. Okay. Uh, the Citadel was a highly acclaimed movie at the time. This is a drama with Robert Donat, a British actor, kind of rose to fame in Hollywood with when a British The 39 Steps became a big international hit. The, early Alfred Hitchcock movie, but this is a very serious drama about a physician in this time period, and it deals with kind of the conflict between his idealism in becoming a, a doctor to help the needy and, and, and then getting tempted by the lure of be, being the, making the bucks and, you yeah. know, getting, you know, treating the rich matrons with headaches and stuff. Uh-huh. And so it kind of deals with that conflict. Interesting. Yeah. So it doesn't have anything to do with the Citadel? No, yeah. it just, I mean, the word Citadel means like a, a kind of a building, right? Or a tower. Okay. What does Citadel mean? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's the... You should uh, know that. But anyways, yeah, it has nothing to do with the military. But yeah, as we hear that term, a citadel is like I think of a big like city on a hill type of thing. Yeah. Right. So Jezebel, have you seen Jezebel? I haven't, but I looks like Betty Davis is in it. Oh, so. she's great. Yeah, and this was another big story about this time was Gone with the Wind was a sensation as a novel, and. MGM was working on the movie. It was like the casting was a big, big story. And Betty Davis got famously passed over for the part of Scarlett O'Hara. But Warner Brothers put her in. Why did she? Well, I mean, they went with Vivian Lee. I I don't really know the rationale. It's just who got the part. Okay. but anyway, she definitely... Probably multiple was... reasons. I mean, Vivian Lee was much more of a blank slate at that time, so maybe uh-huh. that went into it. But he gave us was very much established. And... Uh-huh. Is she... Did Probably... she have a, a reputation of being hard to work with? or? I, I, I don't think so, other than the fact that she was 
she was one of the most powerful people in the industry just because she was so popular, uh-huh. so famous at the time. So uh-huh. she would be hard to work with if you if you're a producer like David O. Selznick who wants to have full uh-huh. control of the production, where uh-huh. it's probably a bit harder to direct because if you don't see eye to eye, she she has uh, a lot it's of clout. But anyways, Jezebel was kind of like a... It's like Gone with the Wind Light. It's also a big uh, costume drama set in the Deep South about this uh, young woman whose uh, movie title says it all. Uh, yeah, Jezebel's Jezebel. not a, a positive um, role model in the Bible, so... Well, I mean, the term is used as a kind of a seductress, or, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Betty Davis is fantastic. It's actually a really good movie. Is want it? to check it out again. Okay. Yeah, directed Henry by Fonda. Yeah, Henry Fonda's in it. Directed by William Wyler, who we've yes, talked about. about. We've talked about a few times. He's now a familiar name to Yeah, me. I know. Yeah, we talked about Mrs. Biniver and and the little foxes we touched on. Oh, okay. Asia, right? Also Betty Davis. Also Betty Davis. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Pygmalion. Okay. Is My fair lady, but. Yeah, well, this is the film adaptation of the George Bernard Shaw play that My Fair Lady is based on. So uh-huh. you can probably tell by the pictures, it's very it's the same plot, right? Yeah, they you can see in the pictures that that scene where he's putting marbles in her mouth. Right. Yeah, and that is Leslie Howard, mm-hmm. who we'll see in Gone with the Wind. Oh, and Leslie Howard is the boy. Yes, Wendy okay. Hiller it plays Eliza. And we've already discussed her before. If, do you recognize her from a movie we reviewed? No. One that you like quite a bit. No, I don't. I don't. Who is she? She was oh. Mrs. Thomas Moore. Oh, uh, 30 wow. some years later. Wow. Or a little less okay. than 30 years later. In the yeah. Men's All Seasons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, What's her name? Indian, I think, uh, Wendy Hiller. Oh, yeah, she was great. Uh, yeah, I think you'd like. Oh, Pygmalion. I mean, you like the story. It's just a, a good adaptation of the yeah. No Songs. Oh, No Songs. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, so Adam might like that. <laughs> the story with No Songs. The musicals are great. I think they're great, too. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Four Daughters. Oh, my sister would like that. Yeah. She has four daughters. Oh, yes, she does. Yeah, this is a movie that is uh, features the Lane sisters, who uh, they're not well-remembered now. They're kind of overshadowed by the Andrews sisters, uh, same time period, but they're also a, a sibling team of three sisters who did a lot of movies and recording, singing. And, uh, okay. Back like in the, the 30s. They were like the Jonas Brothers before the Jonas Brothers. I kind of like that. <laughs> they, they did movies as well. Oh, so they sang also? Yeah, they were also recording artists here. They teamed up with Gail Page to play the fourth sister. And it's just a movie where Claude Rains has these... He's a classical musician, and his four daughters are all prodigies, but they're now of have come of age, and it's about their various romances and mm-hmm. finding... It's it's quite good. I, I just caught up with it this past week. It's directed by Michael Curtis, mm-hmm. who's a great, great director. Okay. Yes. And it's 
interesting that this would come up now because just on our last week's podcast, when we talked about Gladiator, uh, I talked about how Steven Soderbergh got two Best Director nominations for oh, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic. Uh-huh. And you asked when the last time that's happened, and it was 1938. Okay. Michael um, Curtiz. Michael Curtiz. And during that podcast, I said Michael Curtiz got two nominations for Angels with Dirty Faces and The Adventures of Robin Hood. That was wrong. That was wrong. Yes. Wow. It was actually, wow. he did have did directed you, three you big movies. For, you have a button for wrong? No. Loser button? No. Okay. Well, you're pretty harsh. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. But, I mean, he did have three big movies this year. He was nominated for Angels with Dirty Faces and Ford Artos. Oh, but not... Not The Adventures of Robin Hood. Wait, but he directed that too? He directed it too, yeah. And that one was nominated. It was nominated for Best Picture. But not for Best Director. Not for Best Director. And I think, I mean, this was one of the biggest hits of the year and a, Uh a big... A big movie, one of the factors, I think, why he wasn't nominated is that it was a co-directed... Well, Michael... Michael Keeley, I think, was the director of the movie, but it went over budget, and he got fired, and Michael Curtis was brought in to finish oh. it. So that may be why he didn't get nominated. Is okay. It's, All right, know. so, but he actually was the director for this movie. So. Yeah. That's they not, both get credit. So. It's not that big of an error, then. Just a little. No, yeah, he was the director. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just that his two nominations were for uh, the other movies. But okay. Robin Hood, you've never seen it, right? No. Uh, I mean, I've seen the it animated. Yeah, and that one takes a lot of its plot from this one. This kind of lays the template for that swashbuckling. Okay. Yeah. A very. It's just a lot of fun. You will probably recognize the little John because okay. his son, who he resembles quite a bit, plays the skipper. Oh. In Gilligan's Island. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the movie stars Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. Basil Rathbone plays the villain. Really? Um, yeah. And Paul Reigns like is there. It's, it's a lot of fun. And finally, we have La Grande Illusion. Okay. Which is the first foreign language movie to get a Best Picture nomination. Okay. So it has um, subtitles or something? Yeah, well, it's a French movie. So when it was played in America, they have English subtitles. Mm-hmm. And this is a wonderful World War I movie. It has just a lot of... Humanity. It's also it's often listed in lists of the best war movies of all time. It's directed by Jean Renoir, whose grandfather or father was Pierre Auguste of Renoir, the famous painter. Really, I think it's his grandfather. Okay, very talented family. Very talented family. He's a, a one of the best French directors. And the Grand Illusion got a, yeah, the first foreign language Best Picture nomination. It didn't happen again until 1969, I think, with a Z. Z? Z, yes. Just the letter Z? The letter Z is the title. 
Is it about Zorro or no? No, no, it's about uh, the political thriller. And I will refresh myself on it when, by the time we get to Midnight Cowboy, which okay. I lost to. But yeah, it was a good 31 years before it ever happened again. Okay. Uh, now it kind of happens more frequently. Uh, but only one foreign language movie has ever won, with Parasite, which we will eventually get to. Oh, Parasite is a foreign language movie? Yeah, it's South Korean. Okay. Uh, so those are the nominees from 1938. It's a pretty darn good list of movies, but there are even more great movies that came out in 1938. Oh. I'm sure you know... Oh. Um, <laughs> Yes, bringing up babies. Yeah, bringing so up babies is wonderful. I mean, yeah. it's just a sparkling screwball comedy. I think it just plays, it was not a hit at the time, uh-huh. um, but it's since become just a very classic and, and just a kind of a an example of what a screwball comedy can be. And I think yeah, it's so well-remembered just because the two leads are so against type. Both yeah. of them, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Right. But still just delightful. Yeah. She plays very ditzy. Uh, yeah. He plays very uh, Kind nerdy, of scatterbrain, yeah. <laughs> nerdy, kind of absent-minded professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if so you haven't seen Bringing Up Baby, check it out. Like, it's what great. is your problem? <laughs> I love Bringing Up Baby, yeah. yeah so another great Hepburn Grant movie, Holiday, a little right. bit less celebrated, but really a good movie. They're much more in their their uh-huh. normal type. What Have I seen that one? You should if you haven't. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen it's it. It's kind of like, uh, it's been a while, but it's more, you know, she's, Definitely in her Aerosol. upper middle class <laughs> type. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I think he comes in as his her sister's boyfriend, or mm-hmm. and I have to catch up. And I remember it's it's really good. Okay, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces is wonderful Excellent. classic, which got Michael Curtis's second best director nomination, but didn't. Get a Best Picture nomination for whatever reason. And then Alfred Hitchcock's Lady Vanishes was um, one of the best movies of his British period and was what, do, when partly, you, what does that mean, his British period? When he was working in England for the British film industry and then kind of right after is he, this. Is he British or is he... Yeah, he's British. Oh, and, yeah, then, he's from and then he left or... Yeah, shortly after this, he was hired by David O. Selznick to come to Hollywood to make uh, Rebecca, which we'll get to. Okay. And then he stayed as as most of his most famous movies were made in Hollywood. Got it. You know, Rear Window, Vertigo, you know, Psycho. All his Jimmy Stewart movies. Yes. Not Psycho. Yes, because before 1938, Jimmy Stewart was just kind of a bit player that nobody really paid much attention to. But his big breakthrough came with our movie today. Oh, that's his big breakthrough? Yeah, okay. that's his big breakthrough. 
So, yeah, he is in, um, you can't take it with you. Yeah. So what is you can't take it with you about? So this is about, it's really about a love story between a rich guy and a not rich girl and the, the things that you would expect about trying to introduce their, their families. So, and they have the added complexity of his family that's rich. His dad is a banker mm-hmm. who's trying to, uh, he, he sort of personifies all the things that can go wrong with unrestrained capitalism. Yes. And, or robber baron. Right, robber mm-hmm. baron. And he's, he's got to buy up all this land and there's one holdout. And that one holdout is where she lives, which is her grandfather's home. Mm-hmm. And her grandfather shows the other side of American, yes. uh, you know, Americana, which is homespun and creative and yeah. individualistic and and eccentric, eccentric and yeah. and all of that. Independent. Independent. Yeah. yeah. That's probably a better term than individualistic, but independent. Right. Yeah, of, of not, yeah. And so, anyway, it's this kind of clash of these cultures uh, wrapped up in the love story between the rich young kid and his mm-hmm. secretary from a working class family. Yes. Who lives in this beautiful house, but... Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's but been in the family, family for, for right, yeah. Yeah, for a, a long time. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, what did you think of it? I mean, it was delightful. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah, it's just a delightful movie to watch. So I hadn't mm-hmm. seen uh, Lionel Barrymore this young. Oh, okay, Have right. I? I don't remember um, seeing him this young before, but... He's Mr. Potter right. from It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. But he's not in a wheelchair in this movie. He's in crutches. So. Yeah. And he's, he looks much younger. How much earlier is this? Uh, eight years. Yeah, he aged a lot in eight years. Yeah, well, he had... They wrote in the thing about him having an accident on the banister just because he had very severe arthritis, uh-huh. which is why he'd be kind of in a wheelchair for his later movies. Okay. But that was just an excuse for why he's walking around in that. Yeah. With a cane or crutches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't imagine how bad that arthritis must have been. Yeah. But anyway, but he looks a lot different in this movie than he does eight years later. Very different character. Oh, he's like the polar opposite (laughs) character. Yeah, polar opposite. Which I've never seen him. I guess I, I shouldn't say that. I. I mostly know him from It's a Wonderful Life. Right. Where he kind of plays the character of the father. Who Who is that guy that played the father of um, Jimmy Stewart? He's so oh, good. Um, and at Edward first, Arnold, yeah. Edward at first Arnold. I thought that that was... I knew Lionel Barrymore was in there. Mm-hmm. So when he came up, he kind of looks the part of <laughs> right. Mr. Par- Mr. Potter... So it wasn't. Well, yeah, he does. Yeah, it wasn't until he's more heavy set and stuff, and it wasn't until, uh, in the age and all that, it wasn't until Lionel Barrymore came on the screen. I'm like, oh wait, yeah, that's, that's his. That's mm-hmm. him. That's his face. Yeah. 
Were you familiar at all with Jean Arthur? Mm, I feel like oh. I saw her in... Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, I have that. seen that movie. Yeah. It's been a long time. Oh, uh, the she... Talk of the Town, I think you saw. Talk of the Town? Is yeah. Is that the one where they're the... on the cruise ship? No, the Talk of the Town is the one where, like, uh, Cary Grant is, like, on the run, and he's, like, hiding in her house that she's running oh, out yeah, to the yeah. Supreme Court justice or yeah. nominee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen that. What is the gentleman prefer blondes? She's not in that. No. There's some gene. Marilyn Monroe. And somebody else. Somebody else is in that with Marilyn yeah. Monroe, who is hilarious. And this. Yeah. Old time. No, movie. she's great. It's not a Joan or a Jean. No, no, no. It's. Why am I drawing so many blanks today? Not enough yeah. coffee. I guess. Jane Russell. Jane, Jane. Russell. Okay. Of course, yes. Okay. Jane Russell. Yeah. So oh, that's totally off track. Anyway, so I don't have much experience with... This is not Jane Russell. This is Jean, Jean Arthur. Arthur. Very different character. Very different character. Very distinctive voice. Jean... Arthur. Je- Jean Arthur. Okay. Yeah. Does she? Don't you think so? I just think she sounds delightful. Yeah. At any rate... <laughs> like yeah, I guess she, she does have very... a, like a musical quality to her voice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like her. I love her character, Mister Smith Goes to Washington, as Saunders. She just has a much more cynical edge to her that she really delivers well. Oh, okay. Definitely but, doesn't have a cynical edge in this movie. No, but she, she's great. I love uh, how she does the scream. You remember? Oh, yes. Yeah. did the. In the restaurant, where uh, they just have this kind of delightful chemistry, where he's like, um, kind of uh, prompts her into screaming, yes. in front of everybody. Yeah, and this is because she's feeling very judged by her mm-hmm. uh, potential in well, her yeah, potential in laws, right? Particularly the mother, who's mm-hmm. showing very disapproving. Yeah, she is. We know her from Mrs. Vance in... Mm-hmm. Oh, good. For good call, yes. Yeah. It's in like The Awful it, Truth. In The Awful Truth. Yes. Another fantastic movie. Another which fantastic has to movie. be very close in time to this. Yeah, it was just the year before. Okay, yeah, because she looks exactly the same. She does look exactly the same. Yes. And did you notice the same joke? Same joke. He didn't the, touch he second. He didn't touch second, yeah. Yes. In yeah, the, so that's a, a joke in both movies yeah. where you have... A guy runs through... Yeah. And I wonder if like that was just kind of a thing at the time, you know, how the, these kind of like stock jokes that just kind of get into the zeitgeist, like, mm-hmm. you know, now we'll have like, the like you had one job, you know, this yeah. kind of stock joke right. that when the situation rises, everybody uses it. So I wonder right. if that was... You know, it's probably an era where baseball's yeah. even more central to... True, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, so that's... Uh, rather right. than this just ripping right. off the earlier movie, I'm wondering if that was just kind of a In common the... thing when you see someone okay. run by. Yeah. Oh, like, uh, he, didn't, he didn't touch second. Yeah. Yeah, so part of the... So a major part of this... So you have the overarching theme of the excesses of capitalism and greed. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have 
you have greed and of course the, that's what the most of the movie is about is you know life is not all about money it's really about relationships and yeah. you want to foster relationships and that's the overall i would say the overall theme of the movie and the character development we yeah see or more i would put it as the theme is to do what makes you happy okay or do what you like right? yeah that's probably you... is the theme yeah yeah which I found fascinating just as a time capsule of 1938 because there is kind of an isolationist theme to it where you have this family. It's just kind of a microcosm that is kind of insulated from the outer world and mm. they're, they're saving their neighbors by their standing steadfast oh. in their house. And it is kind of like a melting pot where people kind of come in and then they just kind of adapt and right. assimilate right. to their eccentricity. Yeah, because it's not all family members even right. in this house. It is an extended family. Exactly. But they do take in Yeah, the, like, one of them is the guy who was delivering ice, I think. The older guy who's like downstairs for the fireworks and came to deliver ice. I thought that was the father. No, he's friends with the father. They're both kind of oh, downstairs working okay. on the fireworks. Yeah, and and to that end, you notice what how Kirby is making his millions. Is he's kind of a war profiteer, right? right? He he's is trying war to monopolize the uh, ammunition market, right? And so, on the one hand, you have this kind of ambition to these kind of. Um, global like war effort and mm -hmm. profit off of that versus just the humble staying in your home and kind of um, living your best life in your home. And I find it fascinating because shortly after this movie, the war happens. You know, I mean, Jimmy Stewart actually goes off to war and becomes the highest ranking actor and he becomes a brigadier general in the Air Force. Um, but after the war, the team gets back together. And not just Jimmy Stewart and Lionel Barrymore, but the director, Frank Capra, come back for It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. On the other side of the war. And there you have George Bailey, who wants nothing more than to have the freedom to do what he likes or to do what he wants to do. And then compromises it because of his sense of duty and family. Right. And the movie has, the theme of that movie is actually, no, it's not about serving your wants, but about the beauty of... The collective of, good. Yeah, the, the collective good. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just really fascinating wow. to see that change in perspective... Uh -huh. You know, with really the same creative team over before and after the war. Wow. Yeah, so this family, Gene Arthur's family, mm -hmm. Gene Arthur? Arthur. Jean Arthur's family is, she has a sister who <laughs> is always doing ballet everywhere. Yes. You know, and they have this Russian teacher who comes over and he's sort of part of the melting pot. Yes. He just shows up for dinner. Confidentially, she sticks. Right. <laughs> Which is a great line. Yes. 
they're doing that. The son-in-law, I don't even know what he does. He, like, sells candy boxes. Oh, that's right. So it's funny to put, like, revolutionary statements in it. Yeah, just because he thinks they're interesting, and then he ends up having yeah. the police come, which is, becomes this major plot point. In yes. The, and then you've got the grandpa, who is played by Lionel Barrymore, who, who doesn't seem to have... Nobody seems to have an actual job. Right. Other than the selling candy. Yeah. Right? And the, you know, and then the, the father... Who is the, let's see, the Gene Author's mother is like a novelist because yeah. somebody, because type, somebody yeah, yeah, somebody delivered a typewriter to their house by accident once. Yeah. Or they got, so. yeah. And so she decided to use it. So she's just making, writing novels that never get published. Yes. And so it's all like complete frivolity, but they do have staff. There's two African American, you know, they seem like yeah. a couple. We're also part of, part of the family, family. although yes. they don't sit down with them for dinner. They, they sit yeah, with them and, for dinner. Uh, there were some. Frank Capra bristled a lot with the production code, which had very strict guidelines on miscegenation. The term was often used to be refer to interracial marriages, but in the production code, it was also showing. The races on the same social standing that you were supposed to or not you supposed can't. to. <gasps> yeah, which is, is that a true thing? Yeah, that was in the production code. You yes. can't show them in the same social standing. Right. Oh my goodness! I know that is, that's terrible. That's racist. Yeah, that's terribly racist. Oh Frank Capra really kind of you know that affected the minds of Americans for and affected the careers of oh okay yeah so that it's, so that sort it's of explains why they show this couple as like part yeah, of the family he kind of got as close to yeah. equality as he could and yeah. it's you know certainly by today's standards it's I wouldn't even say that it's problematic there's some you know there's some stereotypical things about it. It's, it's certainly not an offensive movie. I would, mm-hmm. I would think. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. a white guy. I don't want to state that, but um, I think the those two characters have uh, larger roles than you typically see from black okay. servants in this mm-hmm. time period of movies. They just seem to have. Uh, a greater role within the family. Yeah, and like there's this one scene where the rich couple and Jimmy Stewart, their son, mm-hmm. show up the wrong night for dinner. Yes. And but they when they show they come in and and it's like showing the family as they really are, right? So everybody is doing their own thing. Individually, they're not even yeah. really interacting as a family. So you have the one daughter yes. dancing, mm-hmm. you have the mother typing, you've got the maybe grandpa maybe playing the harmonica or doing something alone, probably because mm-hmm. there is music. Yeah. Oh, somebody's playing the, the, the xylophone. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the, the son-in-law, son-in-law is playing the xylophone. And then you ha- you that shot also includes this couple... It, who are the servants, but they're dancing in the kitchen, so you get they're framed mm-hmm. in this. So they 
they're sort of, so that's interesting now that you say that because yeah. they're showing them as part of the group because right. they're being all eccentric, but they are one room removed. Mm -hmm. But later when it's like, okay, we got to come up with a dinner plan. It's not just all on them, although it's, he's the one who doesn't touch second because he's got to run to the store to get mm -hmm. something. But, oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I know when we'll also see that, you know, much. So damaging. So damaging. You know, that between and Hollywood and and the whole... Uh, the Jim Crow. Well, um, Jim Crow, the, which is all part of this. Yeah. And the, and the not allowing... The obstacles to home ownership. Oh, the red line. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it, it was, you know that so is, much damage we're, to. We're, yeah, we're living the still living through it. it. It's also would be interesting to keep in mind when we get to Casablanca, which does have a very significant role for uh, Sam. Is really, in the, he is an employee of Rick to mm -hmm. you know comply with the code. But okay, yeah. that is during the code. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the code, code lasted until the 60s, really. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it got lax as it went along. Uh-huh. you know... Yeah, but... I mean, I mean Sam in Casablanca is pretty much Rick's confidant. Right. Yeah, I mean, just back to the point about it being kind of isolationist, I think you kind of get that with the... Kind of has a libertarian take on the IRS <laughs> and taxes. Yeah, which is, that was such um, a... It was such an interesting, it was yeah. very libertarian because the right. IRS agent comes and he says, Why should I pay for battleships? Right. Yeah. And the guy yeah. never says roads or. Yeah, or social Probably hospitals like or probably all New Deal privatized. stuff. Right. right. I mean, I mean this, this is, is in during the New Deal. The, yeah. Right. It's, it's nothing, it's all this esoteric stuff, nothing that. He yeah. actually uses every day, which... Yeah, I mean, he says battleships, and then says, well, we haven't used those since the Spanish War. Yeah, and I'm like, well, well brace yeah. yourself, because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But and then also paying the politicians in Washington is the other point he brings out. Yeah, right. The bill, you know. Right, that. and it's like, I, do you have an income? Because <laughs> I think you're probably okay. Yeah. <laughs> you probably don't owe any taxes. Because right. you don't make anything. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how you're getting enough money to fund these servants. But yeah. Another part of this, this uh, house is a melting pot. We do see a character assimilate to it in Poppins. Yes. Mr. Poppins, played by Donald Meeks. Uh, it's, just, it's such a great name for him. Because uh, mm -hmm. he just plays this... This really kind of a meek, meekly mild mannered character and everything he plays, but I love. We but see him first. We're related to Meeks. No, we're not. <laughs> we are. Who's yeah. the Meek? Jordan Meeks. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Yes. So I didn't know that, that was our name. Yeah, okay. that's our family name. Okay, great. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, we kind of. See, he starts off as an employee of Kirby. Mm -hmm. and right. He, like, does these little inventions, and and uh, he meets... Um, Grandpa. Grandpa, who, like, takes an interest in what he makes and, and kind of convinces him to mm -hmm. 
almost kind of like a cult leader. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was sort of like this um, televangelist kind of thing, but in person of, you know, you see the problem you have or or like he's selling Amway or something. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and I love his quitting scene where he just, like, he starts to leave and then he, like, walks back to his supervisor and just kind of spits at him. <laughs> yeah, so it is it is very much um, kind of libertarian, individual, mm-hmm. you know, do what makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then Paul, well, I, I was really kind of struck by that he's, when you see Poppins, like, in the... Basement with the the fireworks guys. Uh, he's whistling. He's singing "Whistle While You Work." Oh, from Snow White and the uh-huh. Seven Dwarfs, which wow. just opened, you know, like eight months before. Did, is that was that a song that was made up for that movie? Yeah, really? yeah, it's from Snow White, so it's Good. yeah. But it's like it's such a different era. With like, I guess they're not as. Um, stingy with their cop- copyright like licensing because it's like oh Columbia movie singing a Disney song that would not go over all that that's right it's pretty delightful I don't I think that It's a Wonderful Life is certainly has much more depth to it uh-huh. and it's a little tighter it's, it's kind of a long movie for yeah. a very um light comedy um yeah it, it does kind of go on for a bit, but it's yeah, it's still life. I mean, I was I wouldn't say I was bored, but it's just kind yeah. Of, and they it's not and, that tight. And they did like what you see a lot now is where it seems like they took, you know, so you have this conflict, mm-hmm. right? And in a lot of movies, you know, you would take the conflict right up to the edge, and then it would be resolved. This one, they took the conflict over the edge, like, you lose, right? But then it comes back from having been lost, which you see more now. It's like like they go past the point of no return, but then they undo that knot. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like it was resolved with this right up, and the moment before he had to sign the papers... Then he gets to keep the house. I mean, they had already lost the house. They were moving out and all that kind of stuff. Right. And they had to undo it with the sort of conversion of the father, who is, yeah, I mean, spoiler yeah. alert. No, I'm, no, exactly. The timeline is a little bit hard to pin down yeah, at right. times. Uh, also, the, like, I think the... Maybe jail courtroom scenes are pretty long. But I think it's interesting to um, going back to kind of, uh, you know, Capra has an immigrant background. I think he's Italian. Um, but I noticed in, the, in those scenes, there's like a lot more diversity among the extras than we're used to seeing in movies of this era. Like there was a lot of, Mm-hmm. Asian. Uh, you mean Asian the neighbors and? Oh, I was talking specifically about the scenes at the in the jail and or oh, in the drunk okay. tank and then at the courtroom. Yeah. Okay. You know, it kind of like looked more like America than like mm. the, certainly than the boardroom. Okay. 
I did like that final scene in the boardroom where... Because Kirby ends up betraying someone who used to be a friend of him. Right. Who's not a character in the movie until the very end where he comes in and... I just I love the way I should have grabbed a screenshot of it, but I love the way it's kind of framed where you have kind of Kirby at the end of the boardroom table surrounded by his minions, yeah. these, you know right. all all robber barons together and you just see from the back of the head this this guy just like pleading for humanity. Right. From the back, uh as, Played by H.B. Warner, who's also in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh. He plays uh, Mr. Gower, the pharmacist. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah but I look, because he's kind of talking about how you're, he, he says, top-heavy to Kirby. And you kind of, like, get that sense just from the... The blocking of the oh, scene, yeah, yeah. Because of top the, heavy. yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. warning them, "This is going to be you." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just like that it, it does. I think Kappa also does have a lot of patience, like kind of sitting with Kirby in the aftermath. Uh huh. You know, right. although in general, I think the movie might be. It was a bit too long. I, I, I like the pacing there and mm-hmm. giving that sense. Like, because in the meantime, he has a heart to heart with his son mm-hmm. who just says, I don't want any of this. And then he finds out that this guy died mm-hmm. in the heart attack, had a massive heart attack. And then you just kind of sit with him for a while, just. Because 15 minutes after his death, they already had the cause of death from the... Oh, well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about with the timeline. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, but I, I just like that kind of moment that it has the patience to just kind of sit with him in that mm-hmm. moment where... So then it kind of pays off where mm-hmm. he he makes the same decision that, that Grandpa had told him about earlier. Right, yeah. And, and then it's, it's interesting that his wife... So the Mrs. Vance character, <laughs> yes. she, I don't know if this is just part of the, she just has to go along with, mm-hmm. she herself doesn't have a conversion, but she just kind of melds to whatever he's doing. Right. Yeah, which is, um, I don't know if it's a statement on the time, but in the, the protagonist couple, Jean Arthur, she has her own agency, much more so. And she really influences Jimmy Stewart, you know, mm-hmm. her love interest. Yeah. Because he's kind of a weak character. Yes, he he right. can kind of see, he, he knows intuitively that what his father's doing is wrong, but he, right. he just kind of sits by passively while it's yeah. happening. And without Jean uh, Arthur exactly, yeah. introducing her family, he... He needs that to be able to stand up to this. Well, he's very much a child of privilege. I mean, he really says, you know, I I yell until I get what I want. Yeah, right. Yeah. Very frankly. Uh Yeah, definitely. He he has so so much charisma as an actor. Certainly his character in It's a Wonderful Life has a lot more depth to Mm -hmm. it. 
and then Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but he just has this natural charm as mm-hmm. an actor in a, a bit thinner the material, but um, right. But they portray the warmth of the father-son relationship there much more than the son-mother. Mm-hmm. She's kind of a the most right. thin character of of right. this. Yeah. yeah. They don't really explore anything of her. Uh, no. No, yeah. not really. So, anything else on It's a Wonderful Life? I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't take it with you? No, I just, I wow, I really appreciate that sort of look at it in terms of what was happening in the world mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's a neat time capsule. Yeah. I do understand why bringing up baby age is so much better. Yeah. Um, it's just a much more crisp. It has yeah. a lot more vitality. But I, I think this is, this is nice. Yeah. Lovely. I, mean, right. I don't know. I'd have it as high as 41, but I, I, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Do you want to hear a limerick? Yes. From about it happened one night? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know I keep doing that. You can't take it with you. Oh, yes. I infected yes. you. You <laughs> did. Okay. So, in the movie from 38, the sycamores were quite great. With their eccentric ways, they brightened our days. You can't take it with you. It was first rate. Okay. You like that one? Yeah, that is good. Yeah. It has their eccentric ways. Oh, yeah. And they yeah, brightened our days, good. so that was good. And their last name was Sycamore. Yes. We which is a tree. We hadn't mentioned that before. Yes. Yeah. So, very good. So you can't take it with you. Got seven nominations. Okay, that's or overall production or something. Yeah, best original production. Uh-huh. So in case you were wondering about the title of the best picture category, uh-huh. at this point it was named best or, or outstanding production. Mm-hmm. So it started as outstanding picture for just the first two years, then it was outstanding production till nineteen forty. Mm-hmm. Then Outstanding Motion Picture, then Best Motion Picture, and since 1962, it's been Best Picture. Okay. Wow, you had that whole thing ready. I just asked you about that this morning. I, I thought you might ask about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm very predictable. Yeah. Only got one acting nomination. Oh. Can you guess who? Well, I would say... Either Jimmy Stewart or Lionel Barrymore. No, I'm what? surprised. Yes. Gene Arthur? No. The father? The I don't know. The only nomination was Spring Byington, who played Peggy, the writer. The mother, oh, the mother. For Best Supporting Actress. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I Very, thought she was delightful. She was delightful, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that neither Lionel Barrymore or Edward Arnold was up for uh-huh. Best Supporting Actor. But anyway, Spring Byington lost to Faye Bainter from Jezebel, okay. uh, which also won Best Actress for Betty Davis. Okay. Uh, Spencer Tracy won Best Actor for Boys Town, uh-huh. and Walter Brennan won Best Supporting Actor for Kentucky. Okay. In the Western. So You Can't Take It With You ended up with two wins. Just Best Picture and Director, or Outstanding Production and Director. Well, if you got to just win two. 
Those are the two to win. Those are yeah. the two to win. Yeah, this was Frank Capra's third best director win in five years. Okay, what's his yeah. last nomination for best director? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Really? That's a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think he was nominated since then. Has he made movie? What was his last movie? I ask all these hard questions. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Well, let me check. I, I think like in the 50s. So he wasn't still making movies in the 60s or 70s? No, he didn't pass away until 1991. Did he? I mean, was this of a generation where people would actually retire at yeah. 60, 62? Yeah, his last movie was Pocketful of Miracles in 1961. Okay. Yeah. Never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, his last nomination was for It's a Wonderful Life in okay. Uh He had one two years earlier for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and then two years before that for It Happened One Night, which we will get to. Oh, I wonder when we'll get to that. I think it'll be a while. Okay. Well, it better be a while. So that's it. And, uh, See what's coming up next. I do. So we're going to be number 40. The number top 40. 40. Top 40. The, that's... Uh... Yeah. So as we get into the top 40, are there, what changes have there been to your top five since our halfway oh. special? Oh, golly. So as a refresher, you had in descending order Rain Man, Gandhi, Mrs. Miniver, Chicago, and A Man for All Seasons. Well, Marty is now up there. Mm-hmm. I really liked How Green Was My Valley, too. Mm-hmm. So I think those would probably... I think I would still have... Oh, it's so hard to say. I would still have A Man for All Seasons. What were some of my other ones? I don't remember. Chicago was your second. I do like Chicago. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, Mrs. Miniver. Yeah. Gandhi. Rain Man. Yeah, it's so hard. Um, I like them all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would update mine to, well, let's see, mine were in descending order, Wings, Mrs. Miniver, Gandhi, Chicago, and Shakespeare in Love. Uh-huh. Uh, I think now I would have Chicago at five, then um, Shakespeare in Love, and then How Green Is My Valley in third, Slumdog Millionaire, and Marty. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I really like Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. So. I don't and think... I, I actually, I have a lot of respect for Platoon. It's hard to rank it, though, just because yeah. it's so right. hard, hard to watch. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I don't, I don't argue too much with that. I think I would still keep Chicago mm-hmm. in my top ten. Mm-hmm. I think I would... I just still have to have... A man for all seasons. How green was my valley, Marty? So it would probably have to be Rain Man or Gandhi that that goes out of the top ten. Although I still like it. Top five or whatever. Okay. Okay. All right. So So number four. What What do you think is coming up next? Oh, uh, well, on my list is No Country for Old Men, which you laugh Mm -hmm. at. I didn't laugh at all. Amadeus could be. It won't be. It won't be. Parasite. (laughs) Won't be. Spotlight, it might be. Might be, yeah. Moonlight. Won't be. Okay. Those are those are mine. 
But we'll see. I've been wrong yeah. a lot. So. But yeah, but now you're in a string of it's got to be coming. So. I have the Lost Weekend from 1945, the Hurt Locker from 2009, the Sting from 73, and From Here to Eternity from 53. So I am going to add to that, since um, You Can't Take It With You was one of my picks, I'm going to replace that with the French Connection from 1971. Oh, good choice. Yeah, you're a big French Connection fan. Uh, no, I have no idea what that's about. Sounds like a war movie. It's not. Oh, I have no idea what it's yeah. about. Uh, the Hurt Walker is. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, those Let's are my picks. Okay. Let's find out. Let's find out. The Hurt Locker. That's one of yours again. Yes. Yikes. Okay. All right. I gotta watch The Hurt Locker. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you might like it, actually. Okay, that's got the arrow guy in it, right? Yes. Yeah, Jeremy Renner. Hawkeye. Hawkeye, yes. yes. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, 2009, The Hurt Locker. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, bye-bye.